Hey there, welcome to the Colour Couch, which is brought to you through Lao Post. So, welcome to another exciting, <laughs> exciting adventure. Uh, another exciting podcast, uh, um, The Colour Couch. Uh, I am your host, Vincent Taylor. This is my, I don't know, maybe this is episode 10, episode 11, and I am no better. I'm just as bad as the very first episode. But uh, I'm delighted, delighted from the bottom of my heart to welcome uh, uh, my good friend, uh, Simon Asprey. Uh, all the way from Shanghai. Hi, Simon. Hi. And so, and Simon's got this. I'm looking at him on the Zoom. You, you got you guys in podcast land can't see it, but he's got this beautiful microphone, and, and he's a very handsome man as well. So it, it's <laughs> it's just the whole package. The, oh, you. The, the beautiful voice and the yeah. Um, now I, I, I should do I should uh, do a proper introduction. So I've, I've you know I'm trying to do things right. I'm trying to be better. <laughs> um, so Simon is the managing director at Ju Shanghai. Um, but he's also a freaking amazing colorist with a back catalogue that you wouldn't believe. Um, you've been in the, you've been in the industry like twenty five years or something like that. Is that right? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm at yeah. the point where I say twenty plus because yeah. twenty five sounds like I'm about to die. <laughs> yes, I chatted to a colorist friend of mine in Australia a while back, D. And I, I said to her, uh, "Oh, you're, you're a veteran colorist." And she went, "Oh, can we can we not say that? Can we not use those words?" Yeah. It's yeah, yeah, horrible. Uh, right. Now you're originally from England, and um, you've developed a love. I'm, I'm, I got this straight off the uh, IMDb, so sorry. Uh, I, which is why I'm kind of half laughing. Uh, you developed a love of color grading through years, uh, and you worked in a wide range of genres. Oh my God, have you ever? Um, from Oscar-winning films to um, iconic ad campaigns and pop promos and all the rest of it. And I was I was trying to work out where the heck do I start? And and. You know, I start, how do you get into color grading? How do you, and I still want to do that because you've got a really interesting story. But sure. I'm going to do a, you know, what they do in some films where you get the ending at the beginning. And I want to go mm. straight into the film grading uh, awards. So Filmlight, yeah. uh, they've recently launched a new event. Uh, it's honoring colorists and color grading. And you are a judge on that. Yes, that's right. So how the hell do you judge color grading? I'll tell you in um, in November. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know how I would do it, but that's not going to be like some of the other judges. I mean, there's a range of people. There's Peter Doyle, obviously, who's like a legend. Um, so he's another one of the judges. So how he judges is going to be quite different from the way that that I will. I think. Are there are there any parameters of what you uh, kind of what you're looking for? Or we haven't actually been told yet, but I think. Um, it, since it's also the first one, I think it's going to be a case of finding our way and maybe we're going to set, maybe it's going to be different every time they do it. I'm not sure, but there are four categories. There's uh, theatrical feature, TV series, episodic, commercial music video. And then the last one is kind of the only exclusive one for, for film light or for base light users, which is the innovative use of base light. Huh. So the other three, the theatrical feature, TV series and commercial music video categories are open to anyone on any on any platform, which is great. So in the in the entry instructions, there there are some things like they want you to show, obviously, creativity. Uh, they want to show maybe thinking outside the box a little bit. And then also the most important thing that 
that we as color, one of the most important things that we as colorists have to do on a daily basis is make the images flow from one part of the film to another part, uh, whether that's a com commercial or anything, actually. So even flow can be subjective, can't it? Sure. I think. Yeah. Maybe my idea of flow and, and say, um, Danny Cohen's idea of flow might be different or Peter Dawes' idea of flow might be different. So we're all going to have different um, views on that, I guess. So, but for me, flow is, I think flow can be quite personal because even I can watch something, watch a movie and say, well, that didn't, I wouldn't have done it like that or I wouldn't have done it that way. I always think that it's, it's physics down to what, you know, it's like luminance and saturation and, and levels of those things through a, through a scene and and if it if it's off it's off and you can tell it's off and we're quite good as human beings at, at seeing immediate differences in things you know like you see one image and then you see another image straight after that and it's slightly different then it it it, it jumps out at you a little bit which is why we've all got jobs i suppose to, <laughs> to ensure that people don't feel that when they're watching stuff yeah um and then but there are there might be a number of different ways you can go about making that flow happen, you know. I always think luminance is very important. If you go something that's bright and then something that's dark and then something that's bright again, that 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 pops out. I think saturation is more is something that you can actually play with. And in fact, uh, in terms of composition, sometimes the composition of an image and the way that it's set up can make something jump out. So it's the edit and not the grade. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so absolutely. So that's another challenge. But yeah, what I'm going to look at, I'm going to look at that. I'm going to look at flow in the way that I would look at flow as something I'm doing it myself. And in terms of grades, I don't know. I'm going to sound like a, an old fart now, but I think a lot of stuff that we see is overgraded. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so true. I, I, I like to see something that's natural and I like to see something that it can still be creative in the, in the way that the colors go together and so when that's done nicely when that's done in a way where you don't you don't look at it and go oh they you know over, it's overdone it's overdone then that's really good but um so it can still be completely fantastical and and, and not real but it's the way that all the colors go together it has to be done yeah. in a way that that could be real i think it's i think it is such a bloody fascinating conversation and topic because you know i i people have said to me in the past they say oh you, you go to a movie are you always looking at the color grade and and i'm not mm. if i'm if i'm watching that story if i'm in that story then i'm the, i'm the same as my mum i'm just i'm yeah. watching the story i'm lost in the story it's yeah, when definitely. it's it's when the story is weak or something happens that takes me out of it then maybe then i'll start to notice it or just like what you were touching on then if the color grade's kind of so over the top it's pulling me out of this out of the story yeah, yeah it's I, I, and <clears throat> the other reason it fascinates me this 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 whole topic of judging art uh although of course with our industry it's that lovely hybrid of art and technical you know there's the, the two mm. things but nonetheless you know you're still you're still making a judgment call on art. And, and I feel that they must have the same issue with cinematography, you know, when, they, when, they, when they're looking at, when they're judging someone's, you know, lighting and, and all the rest of it. There's just so many variables. Well, you've done, you've done both, haven't you? So you've... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... And they're both, I'm bad at both of them. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> um, 
but it's look. I, I nonetheless, all of that said, I think it's I think it's lovely that that there's that they're having the awards, and I, and I think it's really really cool. How, how do you know how many judges there are then? There are six. Six, and the judges are uh, me. Yeah, uh, Nicola Daly, who's a great Australian DOP. Uh, she kind of specialises in in documentaries and stuff. Yeah, Nicola's amazing. Um, there's there's Jet Omashebi, who is a he's a bit of a legend, certainly in the UK market, and she is uh, one of the best um, drama long form colorists out there in the world. I think really, um, and she's she's fantastic. And then there's a lady called Beatrice Pinedo, who I don't. No, but she's uh, works in distribution distribution side of things, and that's good because you've got almost somebody from the client side rather than operational. Yeah, yeah, interesting. There's uh, Danny Cohen, who's been nominated for BAFTAs and and um, Oscars, and I worked with him many years ago on a TV drama that I actually can't remember the name of now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, the final one is probably the biggest. Uh, name that we would all know and that's Peter Doyle who graded everything from Lord of the Rings to Harry Potter yeah um and um he he's a really interesting character I've never never met him but I've heard so many stories um he came to grading from a different direction he came it came at it from I think from the VFX side so his approach is different to almost everybody's and the big the the thing that everybody always used to say about him was he doesn't use the balls. He doesn't use, yeah. you know, like a blackboard or a, or the resolve panel or or even a pogle or whatever we had back then. And he just had a a box with sliders and stuff on it. And that's how he how he did it. He did all this amazing stuff with the with the box, like completely unfamiliar to how we would do it. For for, for those of you out there who don't know, uh, <laughs> when we're talking about the balls on the on the on the grading panel for a colorist, if you can imagine, you know, for a sound mixer, you've got lots of buttons and dials and levers and all the rest of it. Um, and for a colorist, when you're moving color around, you have uh, a control surface, and they're, they're literally uh, these three or four. Um, uh, what do they call them? They don't call them balls. They, they've got some nice name for them, don't they? Not just balls. There is a word. There is a word, and I can't remember it because it's it's on the menu. For, you know what? For it doesn't matter. You can change I, sensitivity. I call them balls anyway. But um, but yeah, but 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 with that, uh, the the fantastic thing about that is you start to move color around in the image, and you're not looking at the machinery. You're not looking at those buttons because you you've got a real tactile sense of uh, of um, of what you're pushing around those in the industry i know you guys already know that but um i did get a a piece of advice uh from matthew who's editing this for me to say you know what now and then now and then just bring the rest of us into it as well so i'm going all right all right i'll try yes. i'll try there's always and then there's jokes like sitting in the dark fiddling with your balls which yeah yeah, yeah which you know it's it's still fat <laughs> still kind of funny uh, it's still funny <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then I'll, I'll, I'm not I'm not going to harp on about the awards forever, but uh, but I am really interested in them. But what's the story? Um, d- does someone offer up one project they've worked on, and then do they also offer up the raw ungraded, or how does it? It's one one entry per category, and it's just the um, it's just the video, which is great. I hate this again. Sorry, going down the colorist rabbit rabbit hole, but the whole before and after. Uh, log to graded image it's dis- disingenuous I think yeah. because log isn't what was shot log is you know a facsimile of what was shot it's not 
you could do Rec 709 to a graded image, and that's probably a good uh, way to show what the colorist did. But log, I mean, I know we all do it. We all do it in front of the clients because it's like a wow moment. And you yeah. go from the <laughs> yeah. log to ground. They go, oh, you oh. just did that. Oh, that's amazing. You're a magician. Yeah. It's cool contrast. But um, uh, there's no before and afters in this in this award category, which I like. And I think that's a good thing. A good thing. And then the other thing in the fourth category, the baseline only category, you you can supply uh, supporting material like you know workflow diagrams, uh, screen screen grabs, and whatever, really? which is to show. Yeah, so you can show how, like, if you used the paint tool in a clever way, or if you used, you know, your 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 stack. You can show your stack and all that kind of thing to show if you've, if you've done something interesting. Wow. Now, the, it, um, as far as I know, and of course I do know because I, I, I do this podcast, there's never been a fight on our podcast, and, and, the, and this, is going to be a, this is going to be the first one. I don't <laughs> – look, I, I, I feel the same about, you know, whenever I see people do the before and after and, and I go, well, really? I don't really care what the log looked like and I just, you know. <laughs> but at the same time – because, you know, you're talking about flow and, and judging for continuity and, you know, it would be really, there would be an argument for saying, oh, my God, you got that from that? That, you yes. know, the, the, those inconsistent shots and you made the match and, you know. Yeah. No, that's, that's fair. I think that's, no, that's definitely a fair point. That's not a and, fight. That's um, not a fight. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I strongly disagree. Oh, thank you. Thank I strongly you. disagree. Uh, but I think... Um, now this is another this is another point about like you know en- entries into into awards. Unfortunately, the kind of the kinds of projects where which was such a challenge like that, you're bringing something that is you know not great up to being passable. Would you enter mm. that into an award? Yeah, that's I a mean, good that's a good point. That's a good point. And I know for many of us, I mean, I've worked I've worked on 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 many different things, and I've worked on some really. Um, you know, I, I, th- I think I can safely say this: really terrible projects, and then some really amazing ones. And the really terrible ones, you're never going to put into an award because everyone's going to say, "Well, it's still it doesn't look as good as something that was shot fantastically." Uh, no, you you nailed it. That 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 is so true. You're right. You're right. It's um, even, even though that is a skill that we 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 use all the time to try and rescue stuff. Mm. Um, it, it's not at the end of the day. That's not what the awards is about. All right, you, and it, you you win, you win. <laughs> like I would, and I could continue to say there was um, there was a a, a BBC uh, three program about uh, disobedient dogs that was all shot on DV cam and uh, Z ones back in the this wow. one, back in the early early two thousands, and I would regularly do sixteen hundred shots in a day on this on this terrible terrible thing. And I felt so proud of myself at the end of each day. I mean, my fingers were aching <laughs> and my brain was like starting to come out of my ears. Oh my but, gosh. But I felt incredibly proud of myself. But then there was this kind of small pang of sadness that I can never, I can never say, hey guys, look at this. This is amazing what I just did. Mm. Because everyone's going to go, well, yeah, it's a program about dogs, naughty dogs. Um, and and it doesn't look that great because it's all been shot on Z1 and TV cam. But you know, you took it from somewhere that was borderline unacceptable mm. to something that someone could watch and enjoy because the stuff all matched and the colours were kind of okay. And yeah. you know that you yeah. your eye was directed to the places where it was supposed to be directed to. 
So, but that's never going to win an award. Well, you know what? I, I just like this is the first award. This is the first awards uh, this year. I think I'm going to write film like a letter and say you need another category. <laughs> you need a turd polishing category. <laughs> you know, it's a- I was trying. I was trying to canvas some my uh, some two of my old assistants the other day talking to them and then and then they both asked the same question they say is there a turd polishing category oh <laughs> damn it. i thought i was being original so no so but that means there's a groundswell of opinion there. i mean they might put one in next time you never know yeah maybe <laughs> well i i think it's uh, and when when do these kick off when when are they happening so entries close september the 15th and then it's announced kind of mid to late october but everyone needs to get their entries in before september the 15th Gosh, it's a quick ter- quick turnaround, though. Yeah, mate. it is. I'm gonna, I'm yeah. gonna be, I'm gonna You're be, gonna be slammed. Busy. Yeah, I'm gonna be slammed. Mm. Well, I mean, if you know, we need a lot of people to enter, of course, because otherwise, an, an an awards which doesn't have enough entries isn't isn't a true reflection of what's going on in the industry. So we need a lot of people to enter. Hopefully, they will. Well, moving on. Like I said, I I I, I started the podcast with the end, and and I, I, I want to back up a little bit. Uh, you, you've got such an incredible career. Where did you start? Where the heck did you start? <laughs> okay, well, um, uh, the microphone says I have an interest in music. I've got a degree in music. So I graduated in uh, 1991, and I wanted to work in the music industry. So um, I moved back to London. I was born in London, but I moved back to London and then tried to get into that and I was doing some recording some live concerts for um classical music concerts for classic fm and then I was a I was a tape op in a in a huge uh room which made the pre-release recordings for for albums and they, before they sent them out to all the record shops do you remember when you had compact cassettes in the yeah, sure record do. shop and it was a pre-release album because it hadn't been released but the record shop had a copy of it because they wanted you to hear it when you went into the store and um, I used to make those in this huge room full of Nakamichi tape decks because they had to be high quality. And it's the same ones from nine and a half weeks. You know that scene in nine and a half weeks where the cassette comes out of the machine and turns around, goes back in again, and you go, yeah. wow, Mickey Rourke is the <laughs> coolest man in the world. And he's screwing Kim Bassinger. I mean, amazing. <laughs> so, uh, so there was... I had a room full of those and I felt like Mickey Rourke, but, you know, 70 times better because there were 70 of them yeah. and they were all coordinated and they would come out at the same time. And whenever clients would come and look around, they would always come into this room and then you'd press the button to make all the cassettes come out and turn around and go back in again. It was amazingly cool, especially for a geeky person like me. <laughs> um, so I did that for a bit and, I, and it, was the, it was the early 90s early to mid 90s and it was not a great time in the in the record industry it was kind of the last days of rome oh, wow. um and there were a lot of really i don't know there weren't a lot of very not nice people in it in the in the industry and i got a bit fed up mm. and then a friend of mine said to me there's this guy at twickenham film studios he's looking for someone who knows about uh non-linear sound editing which i did and um he said he's looking for someone to help him out so i went and met this guy and then I, and then, and he you know I started working for him, um, syncing up audio with picture in the days of um, film. We had just made this huge leap in this is like ninety 
1994 made this huge leap from from analog to digital so it would have been analog 16 millimeter magnetic tape with a razor blade and a china graph and an, and an italian joiner where you'd join and i did that for a bit and then we graduated to digital using a machine called sadie and you'd do the same thing but it was digital so you'd have the you'd have the rushes on a on a beta cam tape and you'd roll up to the closing of the of the clapperboard and then you'd sync you'd find the on the audio waveform you'd find the clap you'd put the two together and then you'd go on to wow. the next take wow. the next take and next take next. and in this building so i did that for a bit but as soon as i went in the for my first day i saw this amazing machine um and they had two of them and i was like what what on earth is that thing and they said, oh, it's a telecine. And I said, what's a telecine? And they said, it's like a, a scanner. It's basically a scanner. It scans in real time. You put the film on it. You lace it up through the gate. You press go. And then pictures come out the other end. And um, whilst you're doing it, you can manipulate the color a bit. And this was a Ranks Intel Mark III. Wow. Serial number... <laughs> one f- one five seven or something i don't know <clears throat> it was a very early one um and it had joysticks did you ever have oh, did you ever yeah, use joysticks? yeah yeah no i don't oh, know there was something there was and something had, to the right that yeah i can't even remember what it was i used, it a, had, po- I used a pogle when i first started. right yeah okay so this is this is pre pre pogle so it had three joysticks lift gamma gain mm. right and the joystick was the uh, the way that you change the color, and then on the top of the joystick there was a little uh, turny thing, which was the level. So if contrast, you did, you, you, you twisted the two little, yeah, and and there was no no means of saving a grade. There was no means of any kind of memory, and there was no there was nothing automated about it at all. We later on we had something called I think it was called Topsy which was a very rudimentary way of, of, of memorizing what you've done. But Topsy. basically... What a great I name. Was, I think it was called Topsy. Oh, it was let's, just, let's, let's, just, let's just say it was, because that's a great name. It was called Topsy. I think it was called <laughs> Topsy. And, um, so, and, and again, this was a very basic setup, because we were doing print rushes. Uh, uh, print, print was still being used every day, was being, still being developed every day in the lab. The DOP and the director would go to the theatre... Uh, at the studio and they would look at all of the rushes that they'd shot the previous day probably normally about 20 minutes to half an hour's worth of rushes something like that then they would select their takes then they would um then they would check it with the lab maybe do a little bit of a one light grade with the lab guy in, in a photochemical way and then they would send it to 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 us and we would then um telecine that and put it onto a beta or a three-quarter inch tape yeah, yeah yeah and then that that would be then loaded into a very early edition of lightworks or avid mm. and that's that's what we did that's what i did every day so i started off by lacing up the film rewinding the film cleaning the film doing all of that stuff learning how to to handle film which is not something that many that hardly anybody knows how to do now and it it sounds silly but film can misbehave it <laughs> needs it needs to be treated with respect and um and it's quite um 
Did you ever have? Did you have a film spool fall out the middle of a reel? Oh God, yes. Wound tightly. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So so stuff yeah. like that. Stuff and, I, like and, that. And, I, and splices breaking on the machine and and uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. been some so many horror stories. I mean, I know people love him, and I love it. I love the the way that it is and the quality of it. Uh, but there were there are a lot of like sphincter tightening moments of uh, <laughs> of horror. The one, the one that always come. Uh, I've got two. I've got two really good ones. Uh, tell me, tell me. One was, um, <laughs> one was a, 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 it was a, a biblical epic. Samson and Delilah. Delilah was Liz Hurley back when she was like this hugely popular film star, and she, yeah, she was Delilah. And, the, and Samson, I can't remember, was some you know um, uh, meathead kind of guy. Anyway, there was, uh, they were shooting it in Morocco. Um, and there was a battle scene. I think it's the bit where Samson kills all the Philistines with the jawbone of a of a donkey. And um, as you do, there were, as you do. And there were like I don't know five thousand extras or something. It was big. It was big budget production. So they shot all this stuff in Morocco. I think it was three cameras, which again in those days was a lot of cameras to use because cameras and film were very expensive. So they sent it all back to the lab, and um, I was ready. And waiting to do the, the the rushes the next morning, and I got a call from the lab guy, and he said, "Yeah, there's been a bit of a, uh, a bit of a mistake." And I said, "Oh, what happened?" And what happens is when they when they do huge amounts of film at the lab, they will make a a very big reel of film, like maybe, uh, so like ten thousand, no, yeah, maybe ten thousand feet, which which wow. is if you can imagine the size of the ones that they have in the cinema, so it's as big as. A bicycle wheel, bigger, yeah, bigger than yeah. a bicycle wheel. Yeah. And um, so they and they and they join it all together with these steel staples, quite heavy duty steel staples. But sometimes the film breaks or the staples break. And what happened with this one in the middle of this um, battle scene, the staple had broken and some of the film had got sat in the bath for and so completely ruined because it's just been chemically overexposed. Wow. Basically, so it just goes white or black, um, depending on uh, whether you're looking at the negative or, or a print. And um, so, yeah, that battle scene with five thousand extras—God knows how much it cost. Uh, they, I think, they had to do a, 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 a um, an insurance claim on that one. Oh my god! So that, and then because they had to reshoot, they had to reshoot it. I think that was, and that was directed by Nicholas Rogue. Nicholas Rogue. So that was one, and the other one, which is actually more heartbreaking because it was just one guy this guy he was like a dop director did um uh, commercials and he went to nigeria to film an entire campaign for a mobile phone company there right and it was after two it was about 2003 and so it was after 9 11 and um so there were lots of changes that happened in air travel but he bought all his stock in the UK because he didn't trust the resellers in, in, in Nigeria for, for a number of different reasons. So he went over there with, I think, 16 mil. He, I think he had about eight to 10,000 feet, which is about four to six hours of, of, six, of 16 mil, which is plenty for a campaign. Mm. Um, and he went over, he bought his stock, he, he shot, his, shot all his stuff, and then he was bringing the film back to the UK to be, to be processed. And the airline said you can't take this in the cabin. You have to put it in the hold. And he said, but I'm worried about the x-rays. And they said, don't worry. 
all our stuff is x-ray safe and um, it's all fine. And then he he brought it to me, and we and and in those days you might remember we we would we would grade entire rolls of film, and then they would do the cut afterwards. Yeah. So we would especially on neg because then it would save them having to pay for any prints. So we started the session, we set the look, and and we started to run through, and then suddenly I would see just occasional little bumps in the black level, you know, like a little wave it would take about like 12 frames 12 frames to lift it would go up and then back down again we go up and back down again and as we got towards the center of the reel the bumps got more frequent and he was like what is that and i said oh i think it's an x-ray fog <laughs> and um and he was what any and he said oh they told me that it was x-ray safe and what had happened is that post 2000 post uh, 9-11 they upped the strength of all of the x-ray machines that x-rayed in the hold because they were worried about bombs and if they spotted something that they couldn't decide what it was they would zap it again with a higher strength oh. and it would get increasingly high so obviously on his trip i don't know maybe it was his film i don't know but they they zapped this hold several times with a very strong uh level of x-ray enough to expose in, enough to expose the film oh gosh so yeah, and 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 that was a two hundred thousand uh, pound campaign, which doesn't sound very much money these days. But it oh, was I a don't lot know. Of money then. That's pretty. It was a lot of money then. Yeah. And this poor guy was like in bits because the whole thing was ruined. I mean, what 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 that was it? There's nothing that that he could do. Was... Yeah, he, could, he couldn't do anything. It was it was a write off, and I think again they had to. Um, they had to insurance, get insurance. That's why insurance was such a huge thing back then, because so many things could go wrong with film. Yeah, you get scratched. It could, you know, hair in the gate, and and the and all of these other things that could happen, and that you get less of that now, which is, which is one of the reasons why I also, you know, I love digital so much, but um, for for different reasons, it goes wrong less. You you've done rushes on uh, one of my most favourite films. Uh, which is Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I remember seeing that in Melbourne in Australia because uh, that was 70 mil, I think. It was all it was. 70. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all 70 mil, yeah. And I've got another story on that one. Oh, tell me. What, 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 what? what? <laughs> so, well, I mean, there, was, there, there are a number of... It was an amazing thing to watch the rushes because, because it was a completely unabridged version of Hamlet. And, the, and normally when you see it in the theatre... There are bits that are cut out for 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 timing and whatever. That's right. But that's every right. line of the film, every line of the film is every line of the play is in the film, which is great. And wait, wait, wait. Watching that that came from a book, did it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a computer game first. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was great. To, I mean, firstly, it was great to see that that cast was just amazing. Yeah, incredible. Right? Um, there was uh, Brian Blessed played. Played, uh, that's right, Robin, that's right. Robin, Robin Williams was. Um, oh my was God! The, I forgot. Yes. And then, uh, and Ken Dodd was was uh, was Yorick in Flashback. Uh, anyway, so um, the, the the there was a horror story on that one. So they shot. I think it was Blenheim Palace, which was which was Elsinore, and it was at winter in the winter, right? So they and it but it doesn't snow very often in London in uh, the UK, so they had all this fake snow. And so they, you know, they dressed the set with with the, with the fake snow for the wide shots and stuff, so you could see all the snow around Elsinore. Because this is pre really complicated uh, VFX. They would do it in CG now, 
but they did it for real then. And this fake snow is made out of some chemical substance because it looks like snow and whatever. And it is, unfortunately, water-soluble. And then it rained one night and all the snow dissolved and it leached into a koi carp pond with 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 a probably a hundred or so like 120 year old koi carp that have been there since what and it killed it killed them all and um oh my god and so again that was another it's this like insurance it's, this is becoming a theme but but yeah so um so yeah they had to drain the lake and they had to um pay for a whole load of um koi carp but yeah it was a wonderful wonderful thing to watch beautifully shot Oh yeah, and incredible! Beautifully right? acted, really amazing. Yeah. And and the fact that it, yeah it, that it was the entire the the entire play that was what you know I I, I remember I've seen it so many times and 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 I remember just you just you just well I did anyway as a viewer you just float around the screen you'd be looking at there's so much to look at and and then it was all tied together with these incredible performances and 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 obviously the yeah yeah amazing film so so when i when i kind of went you did that i went oh that's so awesome that you're involved with that that it's incredible yeah and kate winslet was in it wasn't she she was a feeling was she oh my gosh you're no you might be right i i i I remember that because i don't weirdly i don't remember her from the film but i was in the canteen at twickenham film studios and kenneth branner um brian blessed and kate winslet we're all having lunch together, and, and and Brian Blessed. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that he's got a real potty mouth. He's, <laughs> swear, he's, he's he swears he swears a lot, and he's got this voice right. You yeah, can hear him. Oh my god! In, in on another continent. Gordon's alive. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Ken Ken, this is the best fucking Hamlet I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, and so, and so, when when did you, you know, because you were doing uh, in in the US, they say dailies, but but rushes, and then when when did you kind of go, yeah, I'm a I'm a colorist now, I'm a, that that's my, or was there no separation like that? Like these days, you kind of go up through the ranks, and you know, but when yeah. did you when did you become a colorist? So I did the sound thing, probably until like 95 96 and then I started doing both and I started assisting on the telecine and then probably by 97 98 I was doing my own stuff and then I got too busy doing that to do the sound mm-hmm. and then in 19 so I suppose I was a kind of a junior colorist from about 96 97 and then in 1999 I actually moved jobs because um well, because I've been there for five years, there were, it was a lovely company, really uh, lovely boss, and it was almost too comfortable for me. So, um, and then I discovered that there was this place called Soho where people had loads of money doing <laughs> this job that I was doing for not for not loads of money really at that po- at that time. And I was like, oh, hang on. And then my the, the my mentor, the guy who trained me, a guy called John Kerr, he said, um, he said, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but. Um, you, you know you could probably double your wage if you just moved three miles in towards the centre of London. And I was like, really? Why? Yeah. And he said, well, because, you know, colorists get paid a lot of money. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So I could do this thing that I enjoy and get paid more money. Oh, wow, that sounds pretty good. Bye. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, and, then I, and then I got a job working on the night shift at Todd AO, uh, which was a lab, 
and um, and Post House in in those days in Camden in London, across the road from MTV, which was a pretty cool kind of place to be. Mm. And uh, and then I was hired as a colorist. So I suppose then I was a colorist because that was my job title then. Before my job title was like sound slash telecine slash whatever. Yeah. So yeah, from nine from ninety nine, my job title was colorist. So I called myself a colorist from then. If there's any regular listeners, you'll be so bored with me asking this question, but I'm I, but I'm constantly fascinated by it. And that is, you know, that transition from from film to digital. And you know, and and uh, you know, of course, we 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 love film so much. But I, I was thinking more along the lines of, and I'm I'm gonna say this on your behalf, and I'm gonna assume it's true because it definitely was the case for me. I I mm. think I think I am the colorist I am because I had that foundation of grading with film and and dealing with film, um, and I think it really gave me yeah this incredible. Uh, background to have come from once digital came through, but with colorists coming through now, where they they don't have that foundation, do you think it does make that much of a difference? Ooh, I I, I completely agree with what you said because I feel exactly the same. As to people coming through now, I think they are unfettered by um, the rules, which means um, you're going to get you're going to get a lot of things which we would have never thought of doing um, or never would think of doing. And so you're going to get some really out there stuff, but at the same time, you know, it's like, it's that, it's that art um, analogy where, you know, you have to know the rules in order to break them. Maybe the rules are slightly different now, but I know, I know what mine, uh, I know what mine always were. It's like, you know, make the whites white and the blacks black and then the, the midtones kind of look after themselves to a certain extent, especially on film. But um, I don't know. It's um, there are some amazing there are some amazing young guys out there, and 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 also there are there are some amazing young guys out there who haven't come through that um, that pipeline of of a facility as well. Yes, yes, that's true. That's so true, isn't it? There are literally bedroom. There are bedroom people now starting to break through into, um, you know, the main, I want to call them mainstream, whatever. But yeah. they're doing, they're getting paid work and they're making a living and they're and they're and they're doing some great work. I mean, there's there's also plenty of people out there who aren't, but there's, you know, there are a few guys coming through now who were who were who were really good it's interesting you touched on just for a moment that thing about that foundation of going you know you make the shadows or the blacks look black you make the highlights or the whites look white and you know you you kind of everything falls into into a good place and and i i chatted to you earlier in the week where i was going oh my god i'm doing this hdr job and and all of a sudden the all 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 of those rules of where you think your shadows are and where you think your highlights are go out the window. And so I had two days of just going, oh, I don't know how to grade anymore. I, I just, <laughs> I've just <laughs> forgotten. And, you know, it's, it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a horrible experience, but it was also a, 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 I don't know, it was good as well, you know, because it, it, yeah. it, it made me have to kind of re-look at things and... Um, yeah, it was interesting, and it reminded me of the terror of starting off, you know, that, that yeah. so many years ago. Oh God, yeah. 
I still remember that feeling. Same. I still remember yeah. that. I remember that feeling when you're waiting for, you know, you're waiting for your senior or your boss to come in and go, well, that looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. on earth are you doing? Yeah. You know, this, this looks terrible. No, you, no, don't do it like that. Do it yeah. like this. You know, so, um, yeah, no, I remember that. But I still, do you know what? I had, I'm not afraid to admit, I still haven't done an HDR project, but that's because commercials aren't requiring it as yet they will eventually just a bit like with hd like hd didn't hd hd for production was being done for ages but for delivery i don't think it was until in the uk anyway i it wasn't until kind of about 2008 or something when sky started to say no we need hd delivery mm. Mm. For commercials, this is yeah, when they've yeah. been taking when they've been taking HD delivery for for broadcast for for years probably. But yeah, for we for some reason commercials never commercials lag behind that technologically speaking, not in terms of production, but in terms of delivery. So I yeah. think HDR will be the same. Um, but as yet, as yet, I haven't done one, nor have I been asked to do one, which is great because those monitors are. Yes, very, very they're expensive. very bloody expensive. Um, because, because, you know, you've got this incredible foundation of, of long form, but currently your you know, your focus is more on, on short form and commercials. I wanted to ask you about your approach to commercials. And look, I know I know every job's different and every, you know, but is there, you know, all the timelines rock up. Is, is there a, li- a, a little bit of a kind of a procedure that you go, all right, these are the first things you do when you start to look at a, a campaign? And, and let's just say it's a single timeline. Say you've got a 60-second timeline uh, for a commercial. It's a horrible question, but where do you start? <laughs> uh, okay, well, uh, you, you watch it, uh-huh. and then hopefully there's a, few, there's a few questions, like you can ask the, the client. I... And now in the habit of saying to people, what do you want it to say? What are you trying to communicate with this? Mm-hmm. I, I try not to ask people how they want it to look because then they will supply a reference uh, from a different project with a different camera, with a different this, with a different that, with a different everything. And they will say, make it look like this. And you go, well, uh, that's really... Uh, and, uh, unless you recreate this with all the same elements, there's no way it's ever going to look like this i can i always tell people i can i can copy the colors yeah i can't copy the way the light's falling on somebody or i can't copy this or i can't so um i now ask people what they want it to say how they want people to feel when they're watching it and then from that you extrapolate a look and then you maybe give them two three options and then and then in china then you go grade it you send out a viewing copy, you wait for six hours, and then you change it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I, I know that well. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, yes. I remember you telling me, but when I first started, I said, is this normal? When I first started in, in China, because you'd been here already, and I was like saying, you know, what can I expect? And, he, and you just said, bring a book to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it's certainly a different a, a different um, way to grade. But um, so you're um, you're now the ma- you, you, you're still a colorist, you're still a senior mm. colorist, but you're now also yeah. managing managing director of 
a place called Juice. Uh, so, so what's what's going on there? What's what, tell me about that place? Well, um, so Juice Juice is a Polish company, and we have offices in Rotslav, which is where the headquarters is, and also in Warsaw, uh, and then now Shanghai and Tokyo. Tokyo office has been going, I think, for four or five years. And um, so Shanghai, we started in April. And we are now, I suppose, with with color grading, we're a full service um, post house. We do audio, CG, um, and uh, grading and everything. Um, we've also got, a part, you know, strategic partnerships with a tabletop company and occasionally do production when when we because we have in-house directors as well so really a a big company with a with a still quite a small company outlook i think at the moment which is great it's great um and um it's been a big learning curve for me the last uh four months um because you know you you have everything that you think you know and then um and then that (laughs) no plan survives contact with the enemy right so um uh yeah but it's 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 been a bit of a wild ride these first few months but um it's fun i really enjoy it that's exciting it's really really exciting and um i have to finish by touching on on the very painful subject of the pandemic and how that has affected your life you know obviously obviously all of us have been uh affected um some horrifically um with loss of life and and um or or, or you know very some very sick sick friends or family but you've been but you've been in the incredibly awful position of being separated from your family for for such a long time yeah that's right um yeah we um we went on holiday for chinese new year 2020 at the end of january 2020 so things were kicking off in in china at that time and everyone was very nervous and um a bit panic a bit panicky to be honest so, but we went on holiday. We considered cancelling it, but we went on holiday to Malaysia. Had a lovely time there. And then at the end of the holiday, it really properly started to kick off in, in China, like in Shanghai. Wuhan was in, in total lockdown, and then there were cases popping up all over the country. And there was a policy at that time, and, and there still is a policy, and this is a Chinese thing. It's a cultural thing. It's not Chinese... People don't view it as cruel, but a lot of other people would. But it's just cultural differences. But what happens is if your child tests positive for COVID or if they get a fever, they are taken away to a fever hospital to which you can't go. You're not allowed to visit. You're not allowed to go there. And they could be there for two weeks or or longer. And we felt that at the time my 11, no, 10-year-old and uh, 7-year-old daughters would be so traumatized by this neither of them speak fluent chinese and um uh you know neither do we so we felt that that was too much of a a horror story to 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 contemplate so we decided at that time to send the family back from malaysia to to england and then i was going to go back because i had to had to work and then that that we thought maybe a couple of months yeah and then that's that's now 19 months that oh we've my been God. separated yeah 
Uh, so it's not not Simon, good. that's yeah. That's not good. It's not good. Yeah, it's not good at all. But um I'm gonna go I think I'm gonna travel back to the UK in November. And um it's getting back to China that's the problem um at the moment. But yeah, no, it's been it's been incredibly it's been incredibly tough. And in the middle of it, you know, I started a new job and uh, so did my wife and it's like it's everything's um everything's very it's been tough but we found a way to navigate through it and then there's been a lot of video calls and there's been a lot of you know been a lot of tears and there's been a lot I of bet. I bet. hand yeah. wringing and whatever else and you know but actually as a family unit i think we're still strong which is amazing really and my wife is incredible yeah i bet um she's because she's really had the much harder job of all of this and she's done such a fantastic job being a making she's moved five times so she's had to pack up and make a home for for our kids five times and um no i mean you know if my admiration for her is not you know it couldn't be any more i didn't think it could be any more before but you know off the scale now she's incredible yeah, yeah yeah it's i mean i you know i've i've, I've just this whole time I, you know I, you, you've come into my thoughts and and, and i just gonna yeah in, in, incredible thing to have had to be going through i mean I, I i go nuts if i'm away from my family for a couple of weeks you know so it's uh yeah but i i, I wanted to touch on that because i because i know you know it's yeah, it's it's a pretty lonely place that you you've had to be in uh, over this time, and 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 at the same time, yeah, still still kicking off at this in this in this new place and and kicking goals, and and now the judge. <laughs> oh, are, you, are you gonna are you gonna get like a judge dread kind of costume or something like that because you're a judge at the color awards? Ooh, that's a very good idea. Something something uh, to really kind of you know. I th- I think maybe a special hat. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, um, uh, I uh, to say it's uh, a delight is is I, I don't have better words, but um, it's been absolutely lovely and um, to, to speak with you and to chat to you about you know um, your experiences and your you know we, we, where you are and and how you got there and um, and thank you so much. Thanks, mate. Um, I want to thank uh, Laupos for uh, helping me out to put this whole thing on. Uh, Matthew Tankard for uh, editing and making me sound amazing uh, and cutting out all my little ums and ums and buts. Uh, and then my uh, lovely producer, uh, Amelia Chapelo as well. Thank you again, Simon, and thanks everyone for listening. I appreciate it.